0: This is our second week in a sermon series uh, in the book of James, and we changed the title from Biblical Practices for Living to the very inspiring title of Be Quiet, Make Friends, Don't Bite. (laughs) And the reason for that is, um, (laughs) I'll just show the story again, Uh, Kayla, who brings her daughter here, um, she said, Rooney, we're going to church, and Rooney said, I know, be quiet, make friends, don't bite. Um, but that, that's kind of the practical advice that James is giving in the book of James. As far as be quiet, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Right? So, so don't be the person who comes in and just like guns drawn, just start expressing yourself. Be someone who is quick to listen and slow to speak. Make friends. Talks about not showing preferential treatment, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Not being someone who who just says, oh, that person looks fun, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be their friend. Or that person has, uh, has cool toys, they have a dirt bike, I want to be their friend. It says, don't show pref- preferential treatment, that shouldn't happen in the church. Um, don't bite. It talks about how the, the tongue is like a spark that can light a whole forest on fire. right? That we can be people who either build one another up in love, or we can do a world of hurt to one another. And so, what James is offering is, is practical advice for the way that we interact with one another, the way we be the church together. Um, just a quick summary of who James is. We looked at last week, James was the brother of Jesus, and, and James and the rest of Jesus' siblings thought Jesus was crazy for most of his life. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They were like, you know, Jesus, if you want to be, be famous... Then you should go out and do this and that, right? And so they would just make fun of him. And they, they lived lives of disbelief in their own brother, Jesus, until after the resurrection. And after the resurrection, um, James, his whole life was transformed. And we see that in the book of James because he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging his brother as the Lord Jesus Christ. And James himself as the servant of Jesus, which is tremendous. Who James is writing to, it says here, is to 12 tribes scattered among the nations. If you read the book of Acts, the way that the 12 tribes, these are the 12 tribes of Israel were scattered, is that in Acts 8, it says that, that the, the church started getting persecuted. So the people put together, put, put to death this guy named Stephen. And after Stephen was put to death, they just went on this rampage and started killing Christians. And so the, the church of Jesus Christ, who Jesus had said, hey, go to the whole world, they were just kind of camped out in Jerusalem because they thought it was nice, right? And then and then persecution led them to scatter throughout the whole world. And so James, who becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, isn't that cool? like <laughs> James, the brother of Jesus, becomes leader of the church in Jerusalem. This one who was a doubter and a hater of his own brother becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so as they scatter, James is writing to them to show them, wherever they go, how to be the church. And so what I imagine is this, is that as they've gone and and wherever they are, refugee camps, trying to fit into the cities wherever they are, the letter from James arrives and, and these people who have, in a lot of ways, lost their identity, right? They're Jews. They're, they're from Israel. All of a sudden, they're not home anymore. And, and so the letter from James arrives, and I'm sure they're like, hey, a word from Jerusalem came. And they gather around, and they read these words, just like we're reading today together. And this is what they read. James 1, we're going to read 2 through 18. So imagine this. People scattered. People displaced people who have no more home to call their own. And this is how his letter starts. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one shall say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he has created. So imagine this. Imagine being (laughs) in a place where you just, you already feel um, out of place, A place where maybe your heart is on the verge of despair. And the first words you get from James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem is, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. What kind of trials do you think they were facing? Um, I think sometimes (laughs) we... um, we just kind of narrow in on what we go through. And, and, I, and we, I guess we compare trials and we compare temptations. And I don't think that's what he's calling us to do, but he's calling us in some way to... Um, I think everyone who reads this... He's calling everyone who reads this to realize that there is a place, no matter where you're at, where, where joy can be in your life. Where they are here is I think they're a place where they wondered if it was worth it to follow Jesus. Um, Like, (laughs) everything in their life had been shaken up because they decided to follow the man Jesus, right? Every single thing. They'd probably lost friends. Friends had died. (laughs) Um, Like, literally, their home that they were so familiar with was no longer a place they could call home. They know if they went back. They would just be either their laughed out of the city or just beat out of the city. Right? And so I think when he's writing to them, he's realizing that these people, the trials they're going through, the temptations they're going through, are something that, that isn't simple. Even though he starts out by treating it so simple, just consider it pure joy. And so what I want to talk about is the, the character of a person who can... And even circumstances like this, or wherever you are, whatever you're going through, can, can find joy and purpose and meaning in what God has to offer. Second, I want to talk about the person who can't. No matter what they're going through, no matter what they've heard about Jesus, they, just, they can't find joy. They can't seem to find any meaning or purpose in the suffering. And then the last, I'm going to talk about the character of God and how He uh, how He speaks into that and what He offers to us. So the first is this What is the person, what kind of character does the person have who in trial and in temptation can withstand? In James chapter 1, it says this. It says. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So the first person is the first person is simply a follower of Jesus. It's nothing extravagant. It's not a cool title. It's not something that will like get you extra brownie points. It's simply this: a follower of Jesus. And the character of follower of Jesus is someone who. So trust who Jesus is, that no matter what comes their way, they're going to choose to simply follow Jesus. And that, that seems like a crazy over, oversimplification. But Let me tell you, it is not. Because when you first heard about Jesus, for you guys who heard about Jesus and responded to the message of salvation, there was something that so convinced your heart and your mind of who he was that he was you were willing to give up absolutely everything for because you saw life and forgiveness in him. You saw something incomparable. And so the follower of Jesus is simply someone who, no matter what else comes their way, no matter what storm of life comes, they go, I am following Jesus through this. It's a radical trust And and the reason why I have to say it so simply is because I can't predict what you're going to go through or what you have come from. Every single one of you come with a trial in your life. You've come with some story that makes you maybe feel like, is it worth following Jesus? But if we come to the point where we simply put 100% of our trust in him, what it says will be produced in that person by their perseverance is maturity and completeness. Maturity and completeness. And literally the word maturity there, what it, what it says is that the, the end or the goal that was always promised has been finally achieved. So the purpose of life. Maturity means that the purpose of the person's life has finally been realized. Like we know that, that simply because you gain years in your life doesn't mean you're more mature. Hopefully you know that. So we are like, amen, have some kids. Um, Simply because you gain more years doesn't mean that you are more mature or that you are any closer to receiving all that God has in store for you. Right? I think a lot of us, looking back in our lives, we can find places, we can trace back to places where God has given you an opportunity to trust Him with your whole life and you chose not to. And rather than maturing and moving towards righteousness and intimacy with him, your growth was stunted. And and maturity, the opportunity for that turned into prolonged immaturity, completeness. What completeness means is simply whole and lacking in nothing. That's, a, that's an incredible promise. Whole and lacking nothing to the person who simply says, no matter what comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust that, that no matter what comes in life, that, that all these things he can work for my good and the ultimate good of what he's creating, that his kingdom would come and I can be a part of that. If you don't feel perfect right now, which is probably a healthy feeling, James speaks into that. To the person who right now says, well, okay, like I want Jesus. I want to trust Jesus, but I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm anywhere close to the goal. I don't feel like I'm mature at all. I don't feel like my life is complete in any way. What, what does James offer you? Well, what James offers you is another thing that is incredibly simple. He says, for you who feel like you are lacking and aren't complete, he says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. So the, the real cool part about this is, if you ask God and say, God, I have, I can look back on my life and the, and the opportunities you gave me to mature and grow in faith, I chose otherwise. It says, if you come to God and say, God, give me wisdom to walk in your way, it says that God will not find fault in you. God won't go like, hey, I already gave you a shot. But the one who comes to God and says, God, you have a million reasons to find fault in me and not give me another shot, but but please give me wisdom because I want to just trust you says, so God won't find fault, but he will be generous with that person. I think the, the, one of the most beautiful stories about this is in the book of Mark, where this man comes to Jesus, and he has his son who's, who's crippled. And, and he comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my son? If you can. And Jesus says, if I can... <laughs> And the man said, Jesus, help my unbelief. And Jesus says, I will. Because like, if the man was just in that place of like, well, if like if you can do it, can you just cue help out? Like to that person, which is often how we approach our faith in Jesus, is being like, okay, I have some time open on Thursday where you can come and save me. That would be awesome. But like that's not the way a relationship with God, that's not the way trust works. The way trust works is we come to God and we say, Lord, this is what I've done with my life. You know me. Please give me wisdom because I want to follow you. Help my unbelief. And the person who comes to Jesus with that heart, God will find no fault in. Now, that's a good word. Right? That Jesus isn't going, you screwed up already, but he's going, no, you've come to me, and you've asked me, and I love, I love to save those who come to me. So, because this is all so simple, but, but why does it work out so, with such complexity in our lives? The simple thing is this, if we are followers of Jesus, we will become more like Jesus, That's that's simply what it's saying here. If we follow him, we will become more like him. If you want to become more like him, ask him. (laughs) Don't overcomplicate it. The second thing is this. Those who aren't followers of Jesus, but those who are followers of self. That's the second group that James addresses here. Followers of self, who he says... um, who when you ask, he says, you must believe without doubting because the one who doubts is what? He says, is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So those who follow Jesus will, with radical trust, radical trust, will become more like Jesus. But those who never trust Jesus but follow themself, will become more self-interested. More and more self-interested. You have these two trajectories in your life. You can be be more interested, you can trust in Jesus, or you can trust more in yourself. And what trusting more in yourself will do is, it says here, will lead to instability because you'll be, it says, double-minded and unstable. The comparison here is it's interesting It gives two descriptions of the person who follows Jesus and says this. The person who follows Jesus will, if with a radical trust you follow Jesus, you will increase in maturity and completeness, moving towards the goal of your life. It's a pretty amazing promise. (laughs) But the person who chooses to, rather than do that, become more and more self-interested. And and what I mean by that is is rather than trusting Jesus, there's like a bit of... of of themselves they want to trust Jesus with, but there's another big piece of themselves that's like they're not ready to let go of. They're just holding on to. And when when the challenge of your life comes, rather than coming and asking God, you go to yourself and you're like, well, what can I do to solve this problem? And to that person, it says they will be like a wave tossed about. They'll be double-minded, which literally what double-minded means is they'll have divided interest. They'll always have maybe this interest that maybe, maybe God is the way. But then another big part of them will be going, man, but I think I can, I can, I think I can do this by myself. And that divided interest will lead to instability. And, and you will get to the end of your life. And you will look back on it. And instead of having the the place of maturity which says at the end of your life, like Paul did, I have run the race, I have fought the fight, now is in store for me. The crown of glory. The goal. I kept my eyes on the goal the whole time. And no matter what came, I kept my eyes on the goal and I, I pursued that I trusted him. And I became something. I didn't even realize what I was becoming, but I became something because I trusted him. And this is the amazing thing, guys, that I really think the, the difference between these two groups at the end of life is this. I don't, I don't think either one along the way realized fully what they were becoming. Um, you know, <laughs> I was joking with somebody earlier with Virginia, and she was, like, talking about someone, she was like, I remember when you were, like, this big. And the funny thing is, whenever someone says that to me, and they're like, I don't know what happened, you're like, I don't know what happened either. I just grew up. Like, like it's got taller. Like, you don't focus on getting taller, right? You're not like, okay, this year, I mean, it's like three inches. I'm going for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you're becoming something, right? And that's what happens with the life of radical trust. You look back on your life and you're like, look what God has done. Wow, (laughs) look at the the friends he's brought around me. The people I can trust and you trust me. Honestly, I I look back on my life and I was like, I'm spoiled. I, I have so many people that love me. This is incredible. Just because of trusting him and walking with him. But if we don't do that, what we become is we look back. Say that every time you have a desire that springs up in your heart and you do that desire, what will happen is you'll look back on your life and you'll be like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I followed everything I wanted to do, but I look back on my life, and what have I created? What have I become? So the question here really is this. What, what are you becoming? And I think that is what James is centering on here. He goes, remember what you're becoming. Right? You feel scattered. You feel you feel like, like the whole world's changed, and you feel like, man, maybe it's... Is following Christ worth it? He goes, remember what you are becoming. And that's why he moves into this part where he says, believers in humble circumstances take pride in your high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will will pass away like the wildflower. What he's saying is this, for the person who is broken and poor, he goes, for you, remember that your inheritance is Christ, that the wealth of heaven is yours. Remember when we we ended the Kingdom of Heaven series, and it says that we will sit on the throne with Him. So you who are poor now, remember that what your life is producing is eternal riches. The the person who in this life maybe doesn't struggle with that poverty or for a moment isn't going through something hard. Maybe your life's going really well. He goes, remember the humiliation of Jesus. That although He was rich for your sake, He became poor. (laughs) And so he goes, remember your identity. Always remember that Christ shows you your identity, not your circumstances, not your temporary circumstances. Because if your temporary circumstances define your identity, right, what that means is, I think you're moving towards more and more self-interest. Because you're like, well, I'm doing well. But if we remember Christ, when we are rich, our thoughts will be, but Christ, for the sake of the world, became poor, so that others might know the riches of God. If we are poor, we will remember, even though this is my situation right now, the promises of God that I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ, and for eternity, I will be living in the sickest mansion of all time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Like... that, because I'll be with him. I'll be in heaven. That Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that place is for me. I might not have a home on earth, but I have a home in heaven, right? Like, that's what he's saying here. Let, let your identity be told to you by the God that you trust. Because our current situation was passing away like the wildflower. Right? like the garden that you invest in every year. I know all of you are gardeners. And you get so much beautiful fruit from it, but then it dies. All our lives are like that. They're passing. But our identity in Christ is not passing. I think James is calling them to remember that. To discover their true identity and know that happy is the person who perseveres the person who holds on. Our trials in our lives are very unexpected. But he ends by talking about something other than just trials, but temptations. And, and we're going we're to end with this. is He says, trials, consider it pure joy when you enter trials, but when temptations come, those are a completely different beast. He says, temptations... Temptations, unlike trials, temptations just aren't good. But it also depends, your identity, who you are, also depends on on how you respond to temptations, right? So he says, for the person who, when they are tempted, say they're tempted to, to doubt the goodness of God, or they're tempted to, even though they know Jesus said, love your brother, love your sister but we're tempted to hate, right? We're tempted to act out in anger. Whatever we're tempted to do, he says, says, don't play the I'm spiritual card and just be like, oh, God's giving me this to test me. Um, (laughs) Right, sometimes, like, once the trial, if the trial hasn't phased us, like phase two, oftentimes the enemy tries to get us is by going, well, I'm going to send something your way and... (laughs) And when it's sent our way, what it looks like in our lives is this. I, I think I see this all the time. People are like tempted to sin and they're like, oh, God's just, he wants to prove that I'm strong. We over-spiritualize it. And what, what James says to these people is he says, remember that no temptation ever comes from God. God never tempts you to do evil. But then he, he tracks what temptation looks like. And what it looks like is this. He says, well, it starts out with, with you being offered something that God says no to, you being offered something that God says no to, and then what follows that is an incredible desire to do that thing, an incredible irrational passion to do what God says no to. And what God, but it says here is that that isn't something. <laughs> That's not good. It's just the desire you have. And what a lot of people at that stage, what they do is, well, if, if I'm a Christian and I desire something so strongly, then it must be God who's giving me this desire, and then they do it. Right? A lot of people get hung up by that. Like, I just want it so bad, so I'm going to do it. And it says that desire, in James, it says that desire leads to sin, which leads to death. I'm going to read you. Uh, this is kind of letting you in on my life. I'm being vulnerable with you guys right now. Um, a quote from Jane Eyre. Okay, um, If you want like, Jane Eyre and a spiritual experience at the same time, just talk to Ben Shepard. Um, there's this incredible part in the book. <laughs> okay, If you don't know Jane Eyre, it's a classic novel. You should read it. Just take my word for it. Okay, um, <laughs> She's at this part where where this temptation is offered to her, right? I, I just like, want to give you spoiler alerts. I won't. I'm just going to say a temptation. Anyway, it's super strong, okay? And, and she really wants to do it. But this is her response. And I read this book last summer. I was like at this cabin all by myself by the lake. It was awesome. And I was reading it. And all of a sudden, I got to this part, and I just put the book down. I was like, "What? Like, it changed my life because I saw such conviction here, such a response to when our desire is so irrationally strong. Because I, I come against this in my life where, honestly, I have no thought that is leading me in the right direction. It's so hard. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I know you've been in this place. Like where, where sin is offered to you. And there's nothing in your heart and mind that says No. What do you do? And this is what what Jane Eyre says. She says, I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad. Laws and principles are not for the time when there is no temptation. They're for such moments as this when the body and soul rise in mutiny. If at my individual convenience I break them, what would their worth be? They have worth, So I have always believed, and if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane, with my veins running with fire and my heart beating faster than I can count. My convictions are all that I have at this hour to stand by. There I plant my foot. Amen, Jane Eyre! Yeah! Here's some good literature for you. So, (laughs) what she's saying here is, she goes... If at this moment of passion and desire I lay aside my convictions, who will I become? Okay, and, and I offer this to you because for some of you this is a daily experience. You know the right way. You know the way God says, come, trust in me. You know that way. But in a moment, all your desires turn against you. Your mind, all your thinking turns against you. And if that moment you given to that who will you become will you become the person who's mature and complete lacking and no good thing or will you become the person who is double minded and unstable this is this is just real talk because i think often in those moments we lay aside convictions even though it is for those moments our convictions have been established amen right Like it is that for that moment that we have said this is true, that even though all our desires go in one direction, we hold the course. Because if we hold the course, you know what you will become. Because you know who God is. But in that moment, if you lay aside your conviction, all of a sudden you will lose completely your understanding of who you are, and you will lose complete understanding of who He is because. And then James goes, and because he says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change, and there's no shifting shadows with him. Everything else on this earth has sh- is shifting. Like, even the sun and the moon, can they can cover or eclipse one another, right? Like, But God, there's no shadow with him. There's no darkness with him. You can trust him completely because he has shown himself completely to you in the person of Jesus Christ. You don't need to question who he is because for once and for all he said, look at my son, I love you. I want you in a relationship with me. And you can establish that conviction in your life and never change from that because God himself is not changing in the way he feels about you. He wants you to be in his family. (laughs) The question is, how will we respond to that? For those who responded in following Jesus, it's really cool, because it ends this part by saying, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What he's talking about there is, is that he goes, you 12 tribes who are scattered throughout the world now, he goes, Think of it as this the gospel you've received, the good news about Jesus, you're the first taste of that on earth. For generations, for the rest of time until Jesus comes back, he said, You're going to be the example. Remember that. So, what I encourage you guys to do is to remember your identity in Him, establish your conviction. I just wrote a couple of questions. It says, do you know what your convictions are? Your conviction about who God is and his desire for you. Do you remember why you have those convictions? Are those convictions optional for you? Will you lay aside them quickly? Or when the desires rise in your heart, will you hold to them? And that is the life of faith. That is the life of following Jesus. When faith has no, when we claim faith without sight is because our sight has betrayed us. <laughs> It's because our desires have betrayed us, but faith holds the course and follows God. I'm going to close with this in 1 John, chapter 1, 5 through 7, it says this This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have a fellowship with, with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, revealed to the world that they can see what's going on in us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what the, the, that produces is incredible fellowship with each other and fellowship with God if I walk in the light and you know what my convictions are and I know what your convictions are we can walk together but if we hold on to following self and self-interest honestly there will always be even distrust and misunderstanding between us that makes sense If I hold back my best from you and you hold back your best from me, there will always be uncertainty. But what God offers is a different way. Because God is light and he's not changing. So what he's welcomed us into, guys, is to enjoy his changeless character. To be people that aren't keeping up double standards. Aren't unstable. But he's welcomed us to ask him, God, help my unbelief. Help me live for you. And in that, you will move towards maturity and completeness, lacking in nothing. And that is a promise that God offers you. If you set the course, you trust him, you can be certain of what you will become, even though you don't see your progress along the way. So what we can do together, guys, is just trust him wholeheartedly and then hold one another accountable to that. I would love that. When I read... Jane Eyre. Honestly, it was so good for me because I, I, I was like called out by her. Weirdly enough, you can that can happen in a fiction book you're reading. But but she was like she was like I'm deciding to hold the course, and I was like me too, right? Like, and that's that's what the church can be as as we're people who who remind each other. Look to Jesus. I know your desires going that way. Look to Him. Trust Him because you know you can be certain of what you'll become. You'll become more like Christ. Let's do that as a church together. Pray with me. Oh God, I... I just pray that by grace, a conviction will settle over us. Conviction of who you are and who we can be by following you. I know that a lot of us here are maybe wavering between trust and whether or not we should give up the parts of us that are still holding us back from saying yes to you completely. I pray that you will give eyes to see the future in some way that that if we live saying yes to Jesus, becoming like him, like the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, all those We will become more like him. But if we trust ourselves, I pray that you'll fill us with a holy fear of what we'll become. God, we want to trust you. Help us in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.